That's good stuff. Um, so, uh, last week we were in the book of Luke in chapter 18, and so I invite you to flip there. Uh, we're going to be in the next set of verses, but last week we looked at the Jesus' story, the parable of a Pharisee and a tax collector going to the temple. And Jesus really upends our expectations when he applauds the traitor and he denounces the religious. Jesus really throws off everything we were expecting. Sorry, this thing is just giving me problems lately. All right. And he throws the shocking twist when he says, remember, it is the tax collector who goes home justified and the Pharisee not Remember, we said last week, God is not interested in your resume. He's interested in your faith. And so many of us walk up to God and say, look what I've done. And he says, but you're missing the point. Look at what I've done. And what you've done pales in comparison to what I have done. And so we ended last week with verse 14 where it says this. It says, I tell you, this man, meaning the tax collector, went down to his, just, to his house justified rather than the other, the Pharisee, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And that's a perfect continuation of where we are going today as Jesus is now teaching us what is it like for those or who comes to him so let's begin reading in verse 15. It says this. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. Verse 16, but Jesus called to him saying, let the children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Verse 17, our final verse for today, Jesus teaching, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Let's pray together. God, speak to us today. Open our eyes, open our ears, and open our hearts to see you, to hear from you, and to respond to you today. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Let me get this figured out before it stresses everybody out. If you're wearing a hearing assist, I'm really sorry. This has got to be terrible. Okay, I think we're good. No, we're not. Hang on. Just one second. We're going to put it right there. No, we're not. All right. I got a little handheld, and that's going to be awful. Okay, better enough, okay. So, uh, last week we see Jesus with the Pharisee tax collector. This week, it's a fairly simple passage. I mean, we, we kind of understand it, right? We, we have this Jesus traveling and a bunch of people show up and they, they bring kids to him and the disciples see this and they're on a schedule and there's an itinerary that they have. And so they start shooing everybody away and saying, hey, no, 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 don't bother Jesus, leave him alone. 
And then Jesus says, no, 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 I'm going to give my time to them. And he blesses them, and then he teaches what the kingdom of God would be like. But I want us to break this passage down a little bit more. So first, let's start with the children. And Luke says it's the infants that are being brought. We, we know it's a small child because they are being carried to Jesus. These kids are not walking on their own as you get into the text. They are being carried. And what are they being carried there for? The hope by the ones carrying them is that they will be receiving a blessing from Jesus, right? They are wanting the favor of God pronounced over this child, just like those that wanted to be healed by Jesus would be brought to him, just like the, the four men that bring the paralytic and lower him down. They, they want to be near Jesus because they believe that Jesus can bless and can transform. Uh, our son is six years old, and since the third month of his life, he struggled with eczema. It's been quite severe at times, and as a result of his struggle, as parents, we will do anything to try to fix that or to cure that or to help him with that. We have spent so much money on steroids and antibiotics. We have spent money on new bed sheets and new mattress protectors and new pillowcases. We, we have to buy special soap, and we, we have to do all of these things, and then when a doctor will tell us, hey, you can't use the Equate brand of CeraVe, you need to use the real brand, well, that's the only thing that's real brand in our house at that point, right? But he's going to get what he needs. Well, when they say he, he needs to shower after swimming, we always do a shower. He knows this. Well, we listen to whatever they say because we want to make it help him and to fix it. But if we learn today that there was a cure for eczema, that if he would take this medicine, I would just say, here's my credit card. Will you get it to me as fast as possible, right? Any parent in this room would do the same thing. If they said, here's a place you can go. If you go and sit in this hot springs like FDR over in uh, the hot springs in Georgia, that maybe it will cure him. He would fly down to Georgia to go to this area. If you said Cooper could go to this place and it would heal him, we would take him this afternoon. If you said to me that there's a person that if he will go and see, it will cure him. You better believe I would be there in a heartbeat. This is what these families, these parents are saying. This man, Jesus, can help. He can heal. He can bless. He can do all of these things. Of course we are going to go there. But it's interesting that the disciples are going, no, 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 get, get him away. And that day, children were seen as completely insignificant. They were weak. They were unhelpful. They were the least of society. They were leeches off the family's resources. They, they were just kind of forgotten, overlooked, unwanted even. See, children have nothing to offer, especially not the ones that are having to be carried. They have no inherent value. And so when the disciples see this, they're going, no, 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 we're not going to busy Jesus' day. He's already exhausted enough. He's already fed this many people, healed this many people, helped this many people. He's already walked this many miles. He's got a busy schedule. No, we're not pulling over, right? He's the dad on the road trip. We are not pulling over to stop and to be with you guys. No, he has places to be that are way more important than this. So they start sending them away. The disciples rebuke the people and in the book of Mark, it says that Jesus then rebukes the disciples. He becomes indignant, frustrated, upset 
Luke doesn't bring that out. Luke instead just shows us how Jesus is not going to overlook anyone, not even a child, not even an infant. The text says Jesus called to him. I like how Eugene Peterson writes it in the message. It says Jesus calls them back. The imagery there is that they've been walking away. They've been told to go, and so they go. And Jesus says, whoa, 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 guys, turn around. Come on. No, no, no. Don't listen to them. You you can come through. You're good. You're in. He, He calls them back, and he says, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Again, Jesus is upending the expectation of those around him, First, he tells the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Now he's saying, no, 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 I want to spend time with these kids. The ones that y'all are saying, shh, keep quiet, send to another room, get us out of the presence. No, he's saying, I want to be around them. And in Matthew and Mark, we see that he touches them, he blesses them, he prays for them. And as our kids are learning, he spends time with them. And see, kids... They don't worry about time. They don't worry about that. They just want to go and be. And as we are learning, as Jesus will teach us, that we are called to have this faith like a child, that's one of the first things I want you to pick up on today. See, most of us are too timid to even show up and say, I'm going to go out and see God. Most of us are too timid in our stances. Well, I don't want to bother him. I don't want to burden him. I don't want to interrupt him. I mean... uh, My life or my need or my prayer or my worries are too insignificant or inconsequential to bother God with. He has bigger things to deal with than my anxiety, so I'm going to just stop bothering him with it. He's done dealing with my depression. It's not going away. I might as well just stop. I don't want to confess this to him. I'm sure he is tired of forgiving me of that because he's done it a hundred plus times. And we just go, well, I'm just going to stay away. But what we see here is a correct posture towards God of going, I'm going to go out and see. I'm going to trust in him. I'm going to reach out to him. And, And too many of us go ahead and say, oh, Jesus doesn't want me to be around him. And then we need to remember that he is saying, bring the children to me. See, God loves you and he likes you. And some of you don't believe it. God wants to hear from you. He wants to be with you. You are not a burden to him or a bother. You are not an inconvenience or an interruption. You're an opportunity. That's what Jesus saw here. And that's what Jesus sees in you. Jesus teaches this pivotal line in verse 16. Let the children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Let's break down that final clause there. For such belongs the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? Most basically, the kingdom of God is the rule and reign of God in heaven and on earth. The kingdom of God is the rule and reign of God in heaven and on earth. And what does that mean? Tied into it is that he is a kingdom that never ends. And so that's where we get this idea of eternal life is connected. When we become subjects to the kingdom of God, when we have uh, embraced his lordship and his kingship over us, we then are inheritance of everything this kingdom is, and that includes the eternal life that is offered to us. This, This 
eternity that we can find and rest in. And, but the kingdom of God is also being inaugurated here on the earth. The church is called to bring about the kingdom of God, to push back the darkness of this world, to push back the falsehood that is found here in our cultures, and to be that light, to live in a way that mirrors and matches how God desires us to live. That's why Ephesians 5.1 says, be imitators of God. Because we are to live out the kingdom of God here on earth. And so Jesus says... To such belongs the kingdom of God. And so what does that mean, to such belong? What Jesus is not saying is that all children have automatically received the kingdom of God. Because then that would move forward to every person has received the kingdom of God because children turn into adults. He is not saying that all children have received the kingdom of God. Nor is he saying that there's some innate goodness in them. And we can disprove that. We can let you go and be a childcare worker. And we can disprove that uh, fallacy that you have pretty quickly especially if my son is in there. What Jesus is teaching is that the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like children in their faith, who receive the gift of God, realizing they have nothing to offer him. They didn't come out with money to give God. They came out with babies that needed blessings, not blessing Jesus in any way. You've heard it said that we're to have a childlike faith, but what does that mean? Because aren't we told to not just be spiritual babies or babes? Aren't we told to grow up, to stop just drinking the milk? Sure, we, we should be growing into spiritual adulthood, but our faith should be like a child. Childlike faith is not a call to ignorance, but it's a reminder of innocence. See, childlike faith is not going, well, I don't know anything else, so I guess I just believe in him. No. Childlike faith is not being tossed to and fro and tainted and contaminated by all of these truths and allowing them to infect you, but going, no, what God has said is true, and there is truth in him, and I, I've seen it happen, so I believe it happens. Childlike faith is, is when that six-month-old cries, they start learning how to cry in different ways to then start a catalytic response from their parents to meet their need, right? Oh, that's the I'm hungry cry. Oh, that's the I pooped myself cry, right? Like they know how to do this to elicit a response. And a child fully believes that when they cry, they're going to get their diaper changed. A, chi a child fully believes that when they cry in this way, that they're going to get fed. We're teaching the kids over there this lesson today, and I, I have written in there that they have a lot of faith. We just drop them off in a building we're not in, and they're just like, at about 11, my mom or dad's going to come pick me up. They don't even try. They don't even worry about it. They just know it's going to happen. They know that when they leave here that they're going to get fed, and then they're going to get another meal later this afternoon. They didn't do anything to earn that meal. They're not helping financially. They didn't help prepare it. They didn't do any of that, but yet they just believe. They don't even worry about it, do they? It's just going to happen because they have faith that their parents will provide for them. That is the childlike faith. It's not childish faith of going, well, I'm just going to be immature in this. No, but it's a faith like a child that I will be provided for because my God can, will, and wants to bless me and take care of me. See, a child is showing up believing. 
Verse 14, he says, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. I think it's connected here with verse 17 too. For truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. How do we receive the kingdom of God like a child? We show up and we say, God, I have nothing to offer. I have nothing to bring. I didn't do it. I didn't earn it. I have no reason to boast. My resume is empty, but I simply believe that Jesus can. I simply believe that he will. I simply believe and trust with all of my life that this is what I'm putting all my eggs in this basket of, that God has done it. I believe it. The faith like a child is that faith of the tax collector showing up to the temple, I'm sure, multiple times and going, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's that same line that we said last week. I am not enough, God, but I believe that you're more than enough. This is the faith that we are called to have. See, members of the kingdom of God are those who receive what Jesus offers just like a child receiving what they didn't contribute to. Members of the kingdom of God are those who accept a gift of salvation, not try to earn or deserve it. See, I'm the worst gift receiver in the world. Carlin hates when birthdays and Christmas roll around for me because I automatically ask, well, how much was that? I don't really need that. Can we take it back? Not because I don't like the gift. She gives good gifts, but I don't like the money that it costs oftentimes. You know, I've never seen a kid on his birthday go, did you overspend the budget? <laughs> you know, even, even yesterday we were talking a little bit about this and we were going through our budget conversation. We hadn't done it in two months, so we needed to sit down and have that glorious conversation. And I was going, what did we spend on this at Amazon? And then I kept calling it off, Amazon, 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 Amazon. And Cooper started repeating it like a parrot. And... And then I said, oh, his basketball goal we got. And he goes, well, how much did it cost? And Carlin said, don't worry about it, baby. It's, we got it. We wanted you to have it. You don't need to worry anything like that. You don't need to become your dad is really what she's saying. True? <laughs> True. <laughs> the kingdom of God, members of the kingdom of God realize that they solely depend on the work of Jesus, not on anything that they've done. I love Craig Blomberg's quote. I quote it all the time. It says this, We are fools if we appeal to God for justice rather than grace. For in that case, we'd all be damned. So many of us want to take him our resume or say, Look how much better I am than them. We are fools if we say, God, judge me on my merit. We must appeal to him judged on the merit that Jesus has bought for us. All right, let me tell a story. When I was 22 years old, I think I was 22, yeah, I was 22 years old, it was around this time, 13 years ago, and I needed to ask, or wanted to ask, Carlin's parents for their blessing before we got married. So I invited them, they lived six hours out of town, I invited them on their way into town, I said, will you meet me at the Barnes and Noble, and we'll sit on that patio outside, and we'll, you know, I'll get to have this conversation. I show up, I'm 22 years old, nervous. They don't really train you for this conversation. It was my first time having the conversation, too. So I, I show up with a manila folder. And I hand them over the manila folder, and they open it, and there's an Excel spreadsheet printed out inside of it. The reason I did this 
is because I was going to be working from August till Friday, May 27th. And I was quitting my job on May 27th. On May 28th, I was wanting to marry their daughter. The next week, we'd be on a honeymoon. Then the next week, we were moving to a new city where neither one of us had a job. Then, on top of that, the next August, I would be starting school and looking at her to be my sugar mama to provide for it. So I handed them an Excel spreadsheet printed out that says, here is how I think our budget will work. Here is how I think I can afford everything. I'm, every time we tell that story, I don't think they laughed in my face, but it has been a laughing moment every time we ever think back to that story. I think they just folded over the middle folder back and said, we don't need this. We're confident that you will figure it out. You too will figure this out. See, I think that's how we show up to God. We come to him and we say, hey God, I know that you have a really awesome thing that I, I want to enjoy and be with the rest of my life. So I printed out my resume. Will you look over it and see if you'll grant it to me? I think God just closes the manila folder and says, I don't, I don't need your resume. He says, I want you to be childlike. And what does that look like in that conversation with my in-laws? It's, uh, I love your daughter, and I'm going to do everything in my power to, to keep her safe, to make her happy, and to take care of her. I don't have it all figured out, but I am certain that my love for her will give me enough ammunition to try to figure it out along the way. What does that look like in a conversation with God? It's going, God, I love you. And I still struggle with why you would choose me and why you love me. But I know that you do. And I have failed so many times, so many times that I can't even count it. But you keep forgiving me. And you're never going to stop loving me. And thank you for this gift that I could never earn or deserve. And I don't have it all figured out, but I want to figure it out with you. That is what a childlike faith looks like. It all came to a head for me a couple of weeks ago. I was watching The Chosen again. I go in and out with watching it, and it's always so good. And the episode I was watching was featuring the apostle or the disciple Peter. And the way that The Chosen has written the story is that Peter was in a great debt to the Romans for unpaid taxes. And he was having to either be a traitor of his country or go to prison. And so Peter was out fishing on the night before that he had to turn everything in, his ultimatum night, he was out fishing all night, and he wasn't catching anything. And then his brother Andrew shows up. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, show up. And they, they're helping him fish, but every time they pull the net in, it's empty. And they're coming to the shore as dawn is breaking, and Peter knows that he's just about to have to go turn himself in. And, and as he's coming to the shore, there's Jesus. And Andrew had been telling Peter all about this guy Jesus that he had met, how he needs to meet him. And Jesus is standing there on the shore. And it's the biblical story of Jesus saying, Peter, put out your net once more on the other side. Peter's frustrated. He spent all night fishing. This is all the biblical context. He spent all night fishing. He's the expert. And now you have this guy on the, on the shore that's just backseat driving. I'm sure he was frustrated. He goes, all right, whatever, whatever. He drops the net. And as the Bible tells us, the net fills up. So much so that once they get it in the boat, the boat fills up. 
And in that moment, Peter's debt is completely paid off. It's a really freeing and complete kind of salvation moment there. And he says, follow me. And the very next scene is the scene I want to tell you about. Peter then goes back to his wife. We don't have a biblical recording of that. We know Peter's married. But we don't have a biblical recording of this. But I really appreciate what they say. He goes back to his wife. He tells her the story. And then he says to her, he's the one we've been waiting for. And I want to quit fishing and go with him. And when he says that, she kind of turns her body away from the camera and from him. And you can tell she's kind of crying. And Peter steps in and he goes, I I knew this would make you upset, but all I can tell you is that this man... And before he finishes that sentence, she turns around and says, I'm not upset. Why would I be upset? This is the one we've been praying for, the one we've been hoping for, the one we've been wishing for, the one we've been looking for, the one that is going to change everything. This is the one that we have been dreaming of coming because he is going to restore life as it should be. Why would I be upset that you want to follow him and give your life to him? Why would I be frustrated about this? This is monumental. I am excited, not frustrated, not disappointed, not sad. And then Peter, like the husband would, goes, well, this is going to be hard. I'm going to have to be traveling. There's going to be some nights you're alone. I don't know how we're going to get paid. I don't know how we're going to make a living. And she keeps saying and just bolstering his faith going, we don't have to worry about that. You found him. It's worth giving your life to. Yes, it's going to be hard. Yes, it's going to be uncomfortable. Yes, there will be struggles. But, but what else can compare to this? This picture of faith has just been stuck in my brain. When Jesus calls us to have this childlike faith, he's saying, I need you to be humbled so that I can exalt you. I need you to be humbled to the point that you realize you have nothing to offer, nothing to bring. But let them come to me. Let them trust in me. Let them believe in me. And that's what he is saying to you and I today. Yeah, you have nothing to offer. You didn't earn or deserve it. But I want you. And I love you. And the ones who inherit the kingdom of God are those who come to Jesus in that humble way, saying, I have nothing to bring. But I trust him, simply trust him. So today, um, as you came in, I hope you received a um, Lord's Supper cup. If you will, take that out now. Um, Ron, will you grab the tray beside you? I know I need one. So if you're like me and need one, will you just raise your hand? And today, what I love about connecting it to our passage today is that this cup 
And this bread is a reminder that I have nothing to bring, but I rely solely on what He has done. That I rely solely on the body broken for me and the blood spilt for me. That I rely solely on the goodness of God and not my own goodness. And so today we get to taste in a tangible way of the love of God for us. And this is for anyone who says, God, I surrender to you. I trust you. I lean on to you. I submit to you as the king. I follow you wherever you go, no matter the struggles. Because God, I need you. It says that the night that he was to be betrayed, he gathered his disciples for their Passover meal. And they were celebrating that night of salvation of the people of Israel in the land of Egypt and how God had spared them by the blood of the Lamb. And what Jesus says is, I'm instituting a new covenant for you. It's not the blood of a lamb years and years ago, but the blood of the perfect, unblemished lamb, my blood, that is given for you. And it's not about painting doorposts, but it's about painting this on your heart and trusting and believing in what, it has, in what I have done for you. And so he takes the bread he broke it, he shared it, and he, and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, this is my body, broken for you. Take and eat. So let's take it together. And then he said, as he grabbed the cup, He said, this is my blood. And, and Hebrews will tell us that there is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood, but also it will tell us that the blood of bulls and goats will not save us. But the blood of the perfect one that is a substitute, as Paul will teach in Romans, the new Adam who redeems the curse that has inflicted every man and woman since the garden. And he says, this is my blood poured out for you. He says, do this in remembrance of me. And so before we take it, what I want you to do is I want you to just pray for a moment over this blood and what it means and what it bought and how you are receiving it as one who has nothing to offer Nothing to brag about, nothing to boast about, but simply receiving it as one who says, thank you, God, for what you have done. So pray for a few moments. Dear God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy.
We thank you for your blood poured out for us. And we accept it and we receive it. And we believe that it changes our eternity and it changes our life. Lord, you are so good. And we simply say as we drink this today, I am not enough, but you are enough for me. Amen. Let's take this together now. When we eat and drink, we are getting a tangible reminder of God's love, His gift, and His mercy for us. And we are reminded that we have nothing to offer Him, nothing to bring to Him, but simply receive everything we could ask for. Let's pray. God, I pray.